Good morning. We sure do have a lot to be thankful for. So it's wonderful to be together with you all this morning. I was noticing an early service, and I've noticed it in this one too, that we've got a lot of visiting family in town, and it's always wonderful to have these holiday seasons where we can pause a little bit and, and, and get to see some people that we don't get to see that often. And so if you are visiting or joining us from out of town, we're particularly glad that you're here this morning. We're uh, in the middle of a series on Malachi, and so I'd like for you all to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this lesson about Daniel and his family, um, of course, Daniel's going to be worshiping with us next week, and he'll begin preaching on the 10th, but that means that this Sunday is his last Sunday to speak at Kingfisher, and I know that that's uh, certainly a difficult time for him um, and a difficult time for the Kingfisher family, and I know we've all been praying over that, but I want to be ex extra, extra mindful uh, of Daniel and his family today. We're sure excited to get him here, and I know they're excited to be here um, but that's often accompanied with some difficult goodbyes, and so I want to be mindful of that. I hope that you all will make join, plans to join us next Sunday evening for our big uh, congregation-wide potluck to welcome their family. It's going to be a great time and a good chance to get to know him and Miranda and their kiddos, and so make plans for that. That'll be next Sunday evening after, after worship. You know, it's been a Long 13 months of transition, hadn't it? Um, you can tell on account of this, see? That's how long it's been. Um, it's been good in, in, in so many ways. You know, I, I know transition always carries with it a little bit of, uh, of difficulty, but that difficulty always makes us grow. And I've just seen so many things happen in this congregation over the last th 13 months that are wonderful. Um, we've proven that we're a lot more than just a pulpit minister. Um, we're a congregation that'll get in and get our hands dirty and make things happen. And I'm really grateful um, for all of you and all that you've done. And I'm really excited to see this next chapter unfold at Oldham Lane. Um, for this week, we're going to still be in the, in the book of Malachi. And um, to be honest, this has been a, a tough series to preach. Malachi's rough. Um, <laughs> And, and it's got some really challenging stuff, and I found myself challenged each week in my preparation, and I hope you found yourself challenged as you've listened to each of the sermons and, and read along with us. Um, I think this week the tone starts to shift just a little bit, and we're going to see a stark change in tone next week, but we still have some difficult lessons to walk through. We've already walked through a lot of difficult ones. I mean, Israel is here in the promised land. They've returned home, but things aren't like they expected it to be. They're looking out and saying, man, this isn't what we thought blessings were going to look like. And so they turn their eyes to God instead of looking at themselves, and they start throwing accusations towards God. God's not upholding his end of the bargain, they feel like. And Malachi is really a prophecy where God looks down at them and he gives them an answer, an answer that, quite frankly, they probably didn't deserve, but he chooses to answer anyway, and we see that the entire book of Malachi is framed in those first few verses where God steps in, and he says, the first thing that you need to know is this, I have loved you. I have loved you. And all throughout Malachi, we see the people looking at God, and it's like, I don't feel like you love me. And God says, yes, I love you. It's you. It's not me. 
God says, I made a choice a long time ago to prioritize you and to set you apart and to make you something special. And you're the one that continually turns your back on me and then you wonder why things aren't going like you expected. I mean, look at the way that you bring offerings to me. You offer me your second best and it just makes me look bad in front of the whole world and then you act like it's my fault. You, uh, you commit spiritual adultery by bringing in all of these other gods and trying to mix in these other worldviews with these things that I have taught you and then you act like it should be no big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a painful thing when spiritual adultery is committed. God looks at the people and, 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 and they, they turn to him and they say, yeah, but, but, but God, you reward those who are evil. You're not even the God of justice that you act like you are. And God looks at the people and says over and over again, you're asking me for these things, but you don't know what you're asking for. I am a God of justice and I am going to, I am going to sweep in and exercise my justice and my judgment. But I love you too much to do it now. There's going to be a period of refining. It's the refiner's fire, and I'm going to purify and work with you. And, and, and then they look at him, and they continue, they continue to accuse God of all sorts of things. They don't want to see their own role in this. And, and, and he says, in doing so, you're robbing me. They say, how are we robbing you? He said, in your tithes, test me. Turn to me, give to me, and see if the floodgates of heaven won't open. And we were challenged last week with understanding how our trust in God, um, how our selfishness often gets in the way. And when we fully trust in him and put our faith in his working and his plans, that's when we learn to rely on him. But these were a stubborn people, a people who, who couldn't seem to turn back to him, who couldn't seem to put their faith fully in him. And what we see unfolding this week is two kind of different subsets, two different clear um, delineations of, of people having two separate conversations. You know, having multiple conversations going on at the same time is a pretty common occurrence these days. I don't know what y'all's uh, Thanksgiving gatherings are like, but at the Dozier House, Thanksgiving gatherings are noisy. And, and often there's a lot of conversations happening at the same time, and it's kind of a challenge with families together because you're trying to keep up with every one of them and, and be engaged in them in a meaningful way. I mean, these are people you don't see very often. In fact, we're pretty used to having multiple conversations. Every day when I get home, the same kind of picture unfolds. I walk in and Brianna wants to tell me about her day. But at the same time, Braxton wants to tell me about whatever project he's working on in his room. And Brooklyn has thought of something that she just desperately needs to purchase at the store that she wants to tell me about. And Blair has taught Meow Meow the Kitty a new trick and I need to see that. And so you step in and all of a sudden there's four conversations happening all at the same time and you're trying to give your attention to every one of those equally. We certainly know what that's like. Over Thanksgiving, it's you're trying to talk to uncle and grandma at the same time. Um, but we do this in our workplace. We do this in meetings. We do this amongst our friends. We're constantly pulled in a lot of different directions. And sometimes it can be a challenge to keep sight of ourselves, to be consistent across those conversations. I wonder, are we the same person in all of our different conversations? You know, in a sense, we're probably not. We're a certain type of person, maybe when we're around our coworkers. We can let our hair down a little bit when we're around our friends. Oftentimes, when we're with our family, we can let our hair down even more. 
the truth is we're not the same person in all of these different social contexts. We're having different conversations with different people all the time and giving them different levels of exposure into who we really are. We're actually pretty gifted at carrying on multiple conversations at the same time. And we have our public persona on one hand, and we have our private persona on the other hand, and we work pretty hard to keep those two separate from one another. Well, this week, we're going to look at two different conversations. They're not conversations that the same person is having, but they're two conversations that the nation of Israel is having at the same time. And these conversations are very different conversations. And it's really interesting to see what we can learn from each of them. I want to read our key text again. Malachi 3, 13 through 18. <coughs> Excuse me. Malachi 3, 13 through 18. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Well, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then, once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Did you see that there? There are really two conversations happening in this passage. And the first conversation unfolds in verses 13 through 15. In fact, verse 13 really frames the discussion. It uh, introduces this kind of thematic Q&A that's been happening all throughout the book of Malachi. And we see God step in and he says, Your words have been hard against me, but they say, How have we spoken against you? In other words, what do you mean, God? my words have been difficult or my words have been hard. It's important to note that yet again, they didn't realize, they didn't understand, they didn't know that they had committed this transgression that they had been accused of. They didn't believe that they had spoken against God. Now, I find that interesting because the things that God is about to accuse them of saying are pretty huge. I mean, look in verse 14. God says, You've said it's vain to serve God. What's the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? We call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. We have this subset of people looking out across the landscape and saying, what a waste of time it is to stand before God and serve him. In fact, when I look at myself, I see, I don't think that I'm gaining anything from following God. I'm not gaining anything from being sad about the situation that unfolds around me. In fact, I look at the people who are selfish, self-centered, arrogant, evil people, and it's like they get all the reward. They get all of the blessing. They're testing God. God, last week you told us, test me, test me, put me to the test, see how it goes. These people are testing you all of the time. 
and you seem to turn your back and not care. You certainly aren't punishing these evildoers. Those are the accusations that these people are are throwing against God. And I look at that and I think, how could they say such things and yet not know what God was talking about when he accuses them of this? I mean, a lot of different things could be the case. Perhaps they were simply being dishonest. Perhaps they didn't actually say these things but acted like it. I don't think that's the case or God wouldn't have accused them of it. Perhaps they didn't think these things were bad to say since they thought it was true, but it seems like they didn't realize they were saying them. The text doesn't say. I, I, I believe what is most likely here is that when they said these things, they didn't realize that God was watching. In fact, Based on the rest of the book of Malachi, I believe the Israelite nation had maintained a strong outward appearance of following God. I mean, if you look back through the text, they've been doing a lot of things right. They were in the promised land. They offered sacrifices. They did it in the temple. They had the priest who stepped in and instructed the people. They were at least doing enough that they believed that God should be blessing them. So my guess would be that these words that are on the screen right now, these were not the public words that they proclaimed. These words that God has accused them of saying, they weren't the words that were shared from the pulpit like this. They weren't the words that the crowd was amening in the public square. They weren't the ones that were published in their church bulletins. These words that are on the screen, I believe, represent their daily conversations. These were the conversations that they had when they didn't think God was looking. It was a glimpse into how they really felt. And I think this becomes more obvious when we see it contrasted with the next conversation. Now, before we go there to conversation two, I want to point something out. We have already had a pretty similar accusation against God as we had this week. If you backed up a few weeks, a few sermons ago, you would see that we unpacked one of these pretty clearly. It's interesting that despite God answering this accusation already, they continue to ask these questions. They continue to press back on this. And what we're going to see this week is that God finally stops responding. God is patient. He is kind. He overlooks so much. But he's not a God who sits there and beats his head against the brick wall on those who have already received an answer and are intent on ignoring it. Those are the people who cannot be helped. God gives an answer. He gives the answer. And then once the people have made their choice, and he lets them make their choice, he shifts the conversation towards those with a different attitude and a different demeanor. You see, we see the second conversation unfold in verse 16, and it's a very different one. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, we aren't told the exact contents of this particular conversation. We know that they feared the Lord and esteemed his name, It's contrasted with the conversation that came prior, so we have to believe it was everything the opposite of what the others were saying. But there's some very interesting things in this verse, some things that we would do well to to settle in and look at. 
namely that they spoke to one another, that God noticed and heard, and that their conversation caused him to set them aside as a distinct group, as a treasured possession. Now, the first one I find particularly interesting. They were speaking to one another. In other words, this was a people who weren't alone. They were in community. They had gathered around others who feared the Lord, and that's who they were spending their time with and engaging in conversation with. And while we don't know exactly what they were saying, we know that God has always designed his people to live in community. It has always been his plan for his people to live among others who, who see the world as if it's dripping with these vivid stories of God and all that he has done. I'm drawn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. We read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And what does that look like? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, I love the imagery that's painted here in Deuteronomy, and I think that it's one we can lean on to understand what's happening in Malachi, because those who feared him did a certain set of things. They spoke to one another, and their words gave honor to God. This was the normal mode of communication. This was the things that just flowed out of their hearts when they were at home, and when they were at work, and when they were walking by the way. And when they were interacting with people in the grocery store, God was on their heart. And when God is on your heart, it overflows in your conversations, in your everyday conversations that you probably forget God is listening to. And when those are the types of conversations you have, others who fear God are drawn to you and you are drawn to them. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 paints this picture. He says, let us consider how to stir one another towards love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see time together, conversations together, building one another up, creating a community where together we fear God and esteem his name and stand strong against those who might with external words speak highly of God, but in their daily conversations despise him. And it's these, these, these daily conversations that God is drawn to, and we see that, that his ears perk up when he hears them, he's drawn in their direction. The text tells us this in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and what? The Lord paid attention and heard them. The Lord paid attention and heard them. You know, it's interesting. God has always been drawn to our hearts. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus quotes from Hosea, and he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, we can walk through the book of Malachi, and it's very clear that God expected them to sacrifice. Sacrifice was important. 
But, but God also makes very clear that sacrifice not accompanied with the right heart isn't what he's wanting at all. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And honestly, I think that's what's happening with these conversations. You see, God was drawn to these private conversations held among like-minded believers, conversations that they probably didn't think he was listening to. And the reason is this, because these These private conversations are the ones that demonstrate where our heart is. They're often a different conversation than the ones we have in the hallways, passing by acquaintances. How are you doing? Oh, brother, I'm blessed. How are you doing? What are you thankful for? Oh, I'm thankful for Jesus. And we say these outward words, and, and maybe for many of us they're true, but, but, but these words that we speak in public, these words that we pray out loud, these articles that we pray, put in the bulletin, the books and the sermons, all of those are one thing, but the words that we use at home, the way that we speak of God with our closest friends and our family, the way that we think about God and operate with God, that's, that's what he's drawn to. You know, my good friend Wayne before he passed away, every time his uh, daughter would come into town, I'd say, what are Jan and Jessica doing, Wayne? He said, I don't know. I think they're painting their faces and sharpening their claws. <laughs> I always thought that's pretty clever. That was translated Wayne talk for they're getting pedicures and manicures and facials. And so anyway, it really wasn't that extreme. But I, I think about that a lot because we're, we are inclined to put on a certain type of face especially you women. You wake up for Sunday morning church and you put on your makeup and you you doll yourself all up and and you look beautiful. But here's the bottom line. God sees us in our sweatpants and t-shirt moments. He's drawn to those more than our fancy dress and makeup moments. God knows who we really are and the conversations we really have and where our heart really lies. And to those who speak to another with fear and esteem, with their reverent fear and esteem of God, he gives a promise. He tells us as the verse goes on that he's going to write their name in a book of remembrance. Now, some of your translations translate this a little bit different. In the New American Standard and the King James, this is called a book of remembrance, and it says that it is written for those who fear the Lord. But most of our other widely accepted translations say it was a book of remembrance of those who feared the Lord. Now, that's a little bit different if you think about it. It's possible that he's referring to some sort of a a scripture prepared to help the people remember God and all that he does. But in light of the Old Testament and in light of how the rest of Malachi unfolds, I think it's probably most accurate to say this is the book of remembrance of those who fear the Lord. And it's a concept they would have been familiar with. The idea behind this is the the book of life, the place where the names of those believers are, are marked for a future hope. It was a concept they were familiar with. They would have seen the, the, the names of many of their ancestors as having been written in this book of remembrance or this book of life. In Exodus 32, 2, it's introduced. Um, the text says, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. 
I think this is probably the book Malachi was talking about. In Isaiah 4.3, And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. This would have been the place where these things were recorded. In Daniel 12.1, it says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And I think when the Israelites heard this phrase, the book of remembrance, that's what they would have been drawn to. This was this, this written document that they had in their mind where these list of names were kept. This was another way of God saying, it's not happening now, but don't you think for a second that it hasn't been noted. Don't you think it's going to go unrewarded. I will not forget is what God is saying when he writes these names in the book. He's saying, you have been recorded in my memory. There is a special place for you. And, and in this, we see that their hope was a future one. It was not a present hope, but it was a certain hope. God had written their name in the book, and God doesn't forget there's so much here in this short little verse, so many glorious and practical realities that we could stew on. But in summary, I, I believe this is the main point. God is teaching them your true conversations are the ones that I pay attention to. The ones that happen at home behind closed doors, I hear what you say in your inner circle. And those conversations have a tremendous impact on your eternal fate. So I ask you this question. What conversations are you having and with whom? Do you fear the Lord and esteem his name? I mean, think back over the conversations that you have. What conversations are you having and who is your crowd that you're having them with? Have your words been hard against him? I mean, glance back through verses 13 through 15. We don't say these things in public. But have your thoughts been hard against him? Do you look to him for profit and find yourself disappointed? Do you express outward adoration while feeling inward frustration? Or, or more like we see in verse 16, have your words been full of, of esteem and reverence for his name? Do you speak well of him in your everyday conversations? Does the word of the Lord drip like honey from your tongue as you interact with those around you? Are people who fear the Lord drawn to you and you to them? Because to those who fear him, whose names are written in the book of life, a beautiful promise follows. In verse 17 we read, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I take up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God says, those who have those conversations, who speak of me like that, when they think no one is looking, those are the ones who are mine, says the Lord. When I come looking for my treasured possession, those are the people I'm going after, the ones who in their private conversations speak reverence and fear and awe and esteem for my name. When I come to judge, those are the ones who will be spared. That's the difference between the righteous and the wicked. That's the difference between one who serves and one who's not, doesn't. And it starts in the heart. 
It starts with an attitude that causes words to be spoken and a community to be gathered. And this is where I want to turn as I wind down this morning. Because you see, your attitude impacts our attitude. Nothing here in Malachi, um, really in all of Scripture, is ever presented as being done in isolation. God works with communities. He works with groups of people. That's how he designed us to operate. So it's not just you that it's about. It's also about us. And so I look out at this group of people, and I have to admit, this, this place, this place should be the community where those who fear the Lord speak to one another. Now, when I say that, I, I, I don't mean in an outward, showy, public manner. I mean, we certainly come together to publicly pray, to preach, to sing, to teach, to participate in the Lord's Supper. All of, all of this is wonderful and good. Worshiping together is so important. It's an important element of what we do here. But we are so much more than a community that just worships together. We're meant to be a community of believers who spend time speaking to one another. In other words, we're called to be friends. These are the people we should go to and be having these conversations with. That's what we're called to. We look in Ephesians 4.25 and it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We speak the truth to each other because, because we belong to each other. We are, we are integrated and intertwined that way. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart towards God. In other words, that that is, is within us, that that dwells in us, it, it, it bursts forth in thoughtful, edifying, instructional praise. That's the way that we are supposed to live together and interact together and serve together. It is these words that we share with one another, words of reverence and awe, words that happen as an outpouring of our heart, not words that are the fabricated right thing to say. It's these words that catch God's interest and draw him in and have a tremendous impact on our eternity. Your attitude and your words impact our attitude and our words. May we be a people whom God pays attention to. You know, if you think back over the last five lessons, you know that the book of Malachi has been a tough one. These were a, a really broken people. God loved them, but they couldn't see it. And they pointed their finger at him and they accused him of being unjust. They didn't believe that he loved them when he did. And so they offered him paltry sacrifices and they worshiped other gods and they told him he was the unjust one. But even in all of that, God refused to stop loving them. God patiently explained himself. And then he turns towards those who feared him, towards those who will listen. And this is where we find ourselves this week with this narrative finally taking a turn. God has shifted the conversation towards his remnant and he begins filling them up with promises. And we're gonna see that continue into next week. Church, we are the people who fear the Lord. We are a people here who speak truth about him. We are a community whose names are written in the book of life 
And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus who showed us the true God and opened up salvation to all of humanity when he was crucified, he was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. We owe everything to Jesus. If it wasn't for his sacrifice, we would be left in our mess making an attempt to carve out some sort of meaningful existence, some sort of hope, but we wouldn't have a single tool to do it with, and we would find ourselves empty. But God loved us too much to leave us like that. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us, and we have been given access to God so that today we could have the relationship that's painted here at the end of Malachi, so that we would have a choice just like Israel did. So which conversation do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be those that continue to wag your finger at God and say, how dare you interact with me that way? Or do you want to be those who've gathered a community around and who fear him and who love him? Is that the choice you want to make or is it the other? If you fear the Lord, if conversation number two is what you want to be a part of, well, well, then he tells us the response. If you fear him, you'll do as he commanded. So you need to repent and be baptized and live in Christian community. So I want to ask you all this morning, do you believe in Jesus? Do you need to repent? Do you need to change and turn from evil ways? Have you been baptized into Jesus and given the Holy Spirit marking you for salvation? Because if not, today is the day to make that choice. We stand prepared to take your confession, to baptize you, and to walk with you in this new life. If you're not ready and would like to study, we would love to share with you the hope that we have in Jesus. And if you've fallen away and need restoration, we beg you to come home. We will partner with you, we will pray with you, we will walk with you, but it's time to turn around. It's time to come home. The invitation is open. Come forward as we stand and sing.